Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nakian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Gail Carriger, author of Solace, coming in October from Orbit Books. You're listening to episode four of Down from Ten, and this is the story so far. It's now towards the end of the first night of the Xanadu retreat, and things have gotten a bit, well, tense. Amos is off walking in the darkness, Jeremiah has managed to select himself out of the party, and Kevin has retreated to the solarium to cool off. But not all is lost, at least we should hope not. Chapter 3. E-10. Night. The solarium had not been in Carol's original plans. Actually, if Kevin remembered correctly, she'd ordained it for an early demolition as soon as the weather broke in the spring. Carol's stint as an English teacher in rural Japan had given her an unnatural love of hot tubbing in the cold and snowy, and the solarium fucked with her chi on that point. Next year, they'd all be damned to cold footing it through hell to get to this little slice of heaven, but this year, that luckily wasn't the case. This year, the brickwork floor was warm under the domed glass roof and walls, concentrating even the heat of a winter day nicely enough that Kevin could still walk barefoot at dusk here. And that was just fine with him. He hopped up and down a couple times, trying to get a good wind to center himself. He stripped his shirt off and hung it on the towel rack, then stalked over to the spa. The cover slid off with far less effort than he put into dislodging it. The activity didn't actually help at all, but the quiet was good. Away from the overused and overvalued vocal apparatuses of moronic, overgrown teenagers, he at least didn't have to deal with any more irritation. Back at the towel rack, he kicked off his shoes and was reaching for his belt buckle when he caught a shadow out of the corner of his eye. He looked over at the doorway to see Adele leaning against the jam in her plaid and jeans. She just stood there not saying anything, looking at him as if she were expecting him to speak. Um, hi. He stood with his belt half open, waiting for her to show some sign of what she wanted. Hiding. Adele had an inimitable ability to use her tongue like a razor. Actually saying the word coward probably would have blunted her meaning. No, gonna jump in the spa for a few minutes to cool off. He pulled his belt out through the loops and tossed it on the rack. Of course. She clearly thought he was completely full of shit. That's what everyone uses hot water for. Call it counterintuitive thermodynamics. Hot water makes you mellow out. He hooked his thumbs in his waistband and slid his jeans and jockeys off together, throwing them at the rack with the rest of his clothes. Huh. If contempt had a tune, it would have been called Adele. Well, I hope it works. She was pissed about something. Hmm? Oh, that. Sorry, I lost my cool. I have a low moron tolerance. Kevin grabbed a towel off the rack and slung it across his shoulders. 
You must have a high jerk tolerance to look in the mirror every day. Right for the jugular. Gotta love it. Kevin shook his head ruefully at her. I'm used to people with thicker skin. He turned away from her and started for the spa. Good euphemism. Kevin dipped his hand in to check the temperature. Perfect. He cast a glance back at Adele. Want to join me? <laughs> he couldn't be sure, but Kevin thought he heard an actual laugh under her derision. Dream on. Kevin slid down into the water and let it close over his head, centering himself in the heat. He broke the surface, hearing the splashing sounds echo emptily off the solarium's ceiling and walls. He hadn't come here to hide out in a hot tub with no company, dammit. He dealt with smarmy, self-satisfied, moronic kids who thought they could buy the secret of the universe from Oprah's bookline every day of the week. It was part of his job. If he could deal with that, he could deal with this. Jeremiah was an idiot, but he was one idiot in a room full of people who were anything but. Ah, fuck this. Kevin pulled himself out of the tub and dragged the rough side of the towel across his skin. The light had gone in the few minutes he'd been in the water, so it took him some stumbling around to find his clothes. Patting Sarah on her head to reassure her that she was a good pet, Katie grabbed a beet slice off the tray and snaked her way out of the conversation pit and over to where Jeremiah sulked in his shroud of magnificent melancholy. Even though he'd been prickly and humorless, Katie couldn't help but give him an extra reach around. His skin alone was enough for a good swoon or two, and his arms were taut and spindly like they'd been sculpted of twine layered painstakingly on a wire skeleton. All of his limbs were long enough to cocoon a woman so that she was being hugged from all sides, and he moved with an unselfconscious grace that only a dancer could manage, even when he was pouting. Nobody should be allowed to be that pretty, but even so, she hated seeing him lonely. Katie at least remembered when she was the new girl at the party six years ago, and she remembered how confusing the first plunge had been, and she had already known Sarah and Carol for years at the time. The chair Jeremiah sat on had a matched companion sitting along the opposite wall between two bookshelves. Katie lifted it and carried it across to where Jeremiah sat, set it down next to him, and set herself on top of it. She unceremoniously shoved a beat into Jeremiah's field of view. Nothing ups the spirits like a good fried beet. Jeremiah took it from her and chucked it into a nearby trash basket without looking at her. They're rancid. We can talk to Adele. Figure out what you like. Katie trod lightly. He was clearly far more upset than she thought. I brought my own food. I'll find a place for it in the fridge, I guess. Whatever suits. We want you to be comfortable. Kevin entered from the solarium and found a seat on the sofa next to Sarah. Nah, I shouldn't have come. He continued to look straight ahead, talking to her out of the side of his mouth like she was the angel on his shoulder. This isn't my scene. Katie leaned towards him and spoke quietly. Look around. She nodded at the crowd. Sarah lay across Kevin's lap as he rubbed her back, while she, Adele, and Carol gabbed pleasantly. They're good people. You'll fit right in. <sighs> Not from where I'm sitting. You guys all know each other. I don't mind being the odd man out now and then, but a punching bag on my vacation? Fuck you very much. I had to head down to Yosemite tomorrow and go packing. Katie leaned closer and dropped her voice to a whisper. I'll tell you a secret. We're all the odd man out. 
look at Adele over there. She's a journalist, travels with missionaries, and reports on the third world. They keep her on the fringes at her church because she's a fine art photographer in her spare time. The winter wind blew in from outside as Gerd entered once again. He moved to the sofa to assist Kevin in his massage duties. She wants to get married and have kids, but she'll only marry another Christian. None of the ones she's met will have her. Well, not the ones she likes anyways. Garrett over there with Sarah, top of his department, brilliant historian. He's about to lose his tenure. Lost his wife ten years ago in a fire with his two kids in the Paris riots. Katie laid her hand on Jeremiah's shoulder tentatively. When he didn't flinch, she pushed ever so gently to direct his gaze past the woman he obviously lusted after and towards the queen bee holding court. Carol there, best-selling steampunk writer in the world. She doesn't know much of anyone who isn't a fan. You've been on stage. Imagine if the only relationships you had were with fans. It feels great for about three days. Then you begin to wonder if you're really a person or if you're some kind of bulletin board for people to pin their hopes to. And Amos? Mm, can't see him right now. He must be in the other room. But you remember him from earlier, right? Yeah. You saw how he sits apart from the group. Always holding back? Jeremiah raised a wry eyebrow. He's not even in the room. See? Well, it's his first year, too. But I've bumped into him a few times. He used to be the life of every party I saw him at. Now he's got something on his mind. And nobody knows what. She stroked his back lightly, hoping to soothe him a bit before she brought up a sore topic. And Kevin, you met. As she expected, Jeremiah grunted like a dog turning up his nose at a rotting steak. Brilliant physicist. Paints like a god. Lives in a world that doesn't have time for painters anymore. Only place he could go is New York, but he doesn't have the stomach for the gallery business. And his school? Really conservative. Doesn't approve of artsy-fartsy types on the science faculty. And Sarah, well, you know Sarah. Yeah, sometimes I wish I didn't. Oh, she's a sweetheart. The spindly dancer turned towards Katie and looked at her like he was trying to look through her. You haven't seen her barking orders. If you don't like her, why'd you come? Jeremiah dropped his eyes to a point on the floor somewhere in front of them and studied it intently. He moved his mouth uselessly a couple of times, as if to explain. Then he gave up and contented himself with contemplating the carpet, his eyes furtively glancing at the back of the couch where Sarah lay. Katie smiled to herself. It was exactly as she had suspected. Oh, well, you may have come to the right place. She relaxes up here. There might be time. Yeah, right. I get shit every day from her. I get shit all the time for what I do. The activism thing? It's not a thing. Just because a guy cares enough not to go through life mindlessly consuming everything. Katie couldn't keep from <laughs> laughing. If you're looking for people who will coddle you for being righteous, or will praise you for your courage when they think you're nuts, you've come to the wrong place. But if you want a few days away from the world, surrounded by people who will give you a decent argument, and who will still respect you in the morning, then you've come to the right place. She opened her mouth and tossed a grape in, making sure he noticed as she chewed it to bits. Mm. Yeah, it's too late to drive back tonight, anyhow. He straightened in his chair as if he'd made a decision. Then he looked at her. How about you? What's your story? Oh, now that would be telling, wouldn't it? Katie popped another grape and winked at him.
The air, still like crystal on the ground, howled just thirty feet up in the trees. The lee of an outcropping protected Amos as he leaned against it about a hundred yards down the road from the house. The air about him cold and sheltered enough for his smoke rings to spin and hang for little snatches of eternity. They seemed to hold back the darkness for a moment, like a baby's first laugh echoing through the emptiness of a winter forest. Amos drew the cigar sparingly, wanting to keep it smoldering as long as he could. So long as he had it, he had a reason not to go back inside where he might be smashed again by some careless comment. He didn't have any right to be angry about it, but if he had ever harbored doubts that English was a thoroughly brutal language, they were gone. The last week had taught him that. The mountainside behind him felt like a towering guard. He pushed himself off the rock and walked away, going nowhere in particular. In the narrow avenue between the treetops, he could see the universe retreating above him. He couldn't decide whether its size was a promise of possibility or an embodiment of futility. Something about hearing 80-year-old music in this gaudy museum of a house seemed to fit. It wasn't just that the high ceilings made every note sound sweet. They made it sound like they came swinging at him straight from Louis Armstrong's trumpet. Except that this wasn't Louis Armstrong. This was better. This was Billie Holiday. Her voice echoed off the ceilings like chants in a cathedral, and Jeremiah sat deep in the sofa, remarkably unaware of the fact that it was covered in leather. Katie had prevailed upon him to give the group one more try, and as soon as he'd grudgingly assented, she had put Billy on the stereo and started dancing. It wasn't long before Carol joined her, and the two of them danced to Billy's voice like old lovers reunited after years of separation. He almost didn't feel Sarah sit down next to him as he heard her voice in his right ear. Beautiful, aren't they? Her voice was all smiles, but he barely heard her words, and his answer came as if his body were talking while his mind floated somewhere between his eyes and the women on the floor. Yes. Yes, they are. Sarah's hand waved in front of his face. He started and looked at her. Are you having fun yet, Jeremiah? Yep. He thought for a second. After she'd been such a snit to him, he really didn't expect her to ask. But he was adaptable. He could roll with it. It takes some getting used to. We'll see. Still, he couldn't help smiling when he stole another glance at Carol and Katie dancing together. The way they were caught up in one another's eyes, lost in the music, made even this ghoulish place seem warm. I'm glad you came. I'm sorry I was a bitch earlier. Sarah's voice came through the fog again, and Jeremiah thought he said something like, Don't worry about it. But he couldn't have sworn to it. The song wound up, and Katie and Carol exchanged a friendly kiss before parting ways. When Katie turned back towards Jeremiah, her brow furrowed. Her eyes darted around the room, and she leaned sideways to get a good view of the kitchen. Not finding whatever it was she was looking for, she reached back for Carol, touching her on the shoulder. Carol, where did Amos go? Carol's head whipped around like a startled cat's. When she saw that Amos wasn't there, she appeared to mentally check the last time she'd seen him. Oh, hell. 
Between the trees, in the furtive breaks between the thickening, low clouds, the black fell forever above Amos. It didn't really give him much of a sop for the pus his heart was oozing, but it did help. Something about the smallness of a man against all that was out there. Something about the possibility that all that space represented. Something out there tugged at him in a refreshing way, different than the way life's hooks yanked at the underside of his heart. The curling of the pines and redwoods that lined the road carried the sound of soft-soled shoes up to him from a dozen yards away. He knew her gait without looking. She was the last person he wanted to talk to right now. She could see him, and he was out here in the dark because he did not want to be seen. I know. He didn't need to hear what she had to say. He knew. But it didn't stop her from saying it anyway. It's getting cold in there without you. Amos closed his eyes against Carol's voice and pulled a social face from his repertoire. Well, I did wear my handy-dandy uranium underwear today. Guaranteed to warm up anyone within 15 feet. Right. So come on. You're driving up my heating bill. Amos shook his head and smiled. She'd made it through to him again, just like he'd been afraid she would. But he found that he didn't really mind after all. The night was as good shared as taken alone. He walked towards her and took her hand in his, walking with her beneath the dancing stars. But he didn't look at her. He was still looking at them, always up. Carol didn't fail to notice. They are beautiful tonight. They're always beautiful. Always out of reach. Their footsteps shuffled steadily, slowly, the sound changing under the clouds. Carol leaned against him. When he looked down at her, he saw her looking up past him as the last of the coming storm swallowed up the sky. The overcast pulled in, blowing low across the road and mingling with their breaths. It's good to have something to reach for. Yes. It is. The house, if it had eyes, might have smiled when it saw Amos and Carol walking up the drive arm in arm. Had it breathed, it might have sighed with relief as the conflict brewing earlier in the evening washed away under the diplomatic hands of Gerd and Katie, each whispering one after the other into the right ears, convincing Jeremiah and Kevin and Adele to let down their guard enough to see more of one another than just their spears. Had it listened, it might have eavesdropped with delight at the whispered flirtations, the word games, the laughter shared between old friends, and the hesitant, daring moves into fresh conversations by the newcomers. It might have done all those things, or none of them, had it been able. But it wasn't able. Of course it wasn't. It was just an ordinary house, standing on a commonplace mountainside in California's high country, filled with a cadre of artists determined to spend ten days in civilized decadence. And that was all it was, so far as anyone knew. One by one, the guests traded tumblers for mugs, sipping the herbal tea in hopes of staving off any potential revenge their bodies might inflict upon them for the first evening's indulgence. As the hands on the clock wound round past midnight and on toward two, 
Gerd sat up from an impromptu nest of floor pillows on a crumpled heap of snoring Sarah and announced the end of his evening. With the greatest possible dignity, he hauled his footballer's frame to its feet and lumbered up the stairs to his room. Katie followed next, then Carol. Jeremiah hung back until Kevin had gone, then helped Sarah to her feet and half-carried her up to her bed. He tucked her in, then reluctantly retreated out the door and found his own. Adele, sitting down on her bed, set her chamomile down next to her Bible and slid between the sheets, praying only that sleep would find her quickly. Amos was the last to give up on the fire. Carol had invited him along, but he wasn't ready for her yet. He contented himself with losing his thoughts in the movements of the flames, trying to find some kind of cleansing in its heat, until finally it was only embers. Exhausted as the fuel, Amos threw a new log on the fire. Then he too found his room, his pillow, and his bed, falling asleep almost as soon as he lay flat. Gerd and Sarah, across the hall from one another, snored in an alternating rhythm that gave the interior an aural texture just otherworldly enough to make a well-adjusted ghost feel right at home. Nothing moved. Not a mouse. Not a fly. Not even a guest tossing and turning or stumbling half-asleep to the toilet. In the whole house, barely a mite stirred. Slowly, a bit at a time, the entire estate slipped into a deafening, impenetrable silence. The house was still. Nothing stirred. Not until the clock on the mantel slipped silently past 425, when a shadow moved in the living room's firelight. The shadow walked lightly, careful that no step should make a sound. It reached beneath the longer of the two couches, finding its object by touch among the five slim laptops lined up neatly in the protected space. It set the computer on the coffee table and opened the lid. The dark robe, colorless in the dark and the flickering yellow, shrouded the figure's right hand as it moved over the keyboard. The dark screen sprang to life, displaying nothing more than a cursor. Login 81377BX52 appeared on the screen. The computer seemed to contemplate this for a moment, then returned a demand. Thumbprint ID required to proceed. The figure reached up to the screen and pressed its thumb to the LCD. A bright light, razor narrow, scanned across it from left to right. An enlarged photograph of the thumbprint appeared progressively on the left side of the screen while the machine checked the brakes, scars, ridges, and whorls against the versions stored with the ID. Access granted. The screen blanked, and then the word Report appeared at top left. Like everything else in the house, the keyboard was soundless as the shadow typed. Situation progressing faster than anticipated. Initiate protocol. A minute passed, then two, while the figure sat as if waiting for something. As the third minute passed, its patience was rewarded with a reply. Understood. Please verify all elements are in place. All elements are in place. Level 10 access granted. Regular progress reports expected. TXP number 8357. Protocol initiated. The figure pressed the escape key. 
The screen flickered, then flashed the shutdown splash screen, and then blanked. The figure retreated, and for the rest of the night, nothing else moved. Not even a mite. You've been listening to Episode 4 of Down From 10, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, additional music by Billy Holiday from the Creative Commons in the Public Domain, starring Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, T. Morris as Amos Maple, Kitty McKeon as Katie Sato, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Calendar as Sarah Evans, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and special guest voice Gail Carriger as The Computers. Sound effects courtesy of the Free Sound Project and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook was recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on the screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Coming soon from Prometheus Radio Theater. Payment has been deferred. A psychic event. I saw a ship. They were slaughtering the crew. There are crations on our doorstep. Emergency situation. Hostile ship is destroyed. What the hell? This is Terrence Metcalf, commanding CNV Titan. The compressed wreckage of the ship will enter Quintel's atmosphere. And rain death on ten billion people. I will die for this, Metcalf. Will you die to stop me? Save the damn galaxy yourself. It's what you've been dying to do, so die doing it. There was a detonation off starboard at the docking ring. It was Shuttle Alpha. It was Erla. Command deck to all hands. Abandon ship. Prometheus Radio Theater presents a six-episode Arbiter Chronicles event. Contents under pressure. Hello, this is Miss Calendar from the Brass Needles Podcast, and you're listening to Down From Ten. So who is that? And will they be back? That's the question. And that's four episodes, which is when I promised you you would be hooked, or probably have already bailed. And I've heard from a number of you that you were hooked already at episode two or three, uh, which is great news. Hopefully you're even more hooked now. Because I like this story, and I'm having a lot of fun telling it. So it's good to have you along for the ride. Sorry for being late this week. I've been busy, 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 busy here. Of course, there's Down From Ten to do, but there's also Writing Free Will, and a new ultra-secret project I worked on last weekend, remixing Predestination for Patio Books, and heading off to do experimental archaeology at an undisclosable location in the wilds of Northern California. 
Which doesn't even bring me to all the content sitting here on my hard drive I have just waiting for you guys. More dealing in shows, special previews for Free Will, a whole season of reprobates, uh, the launch cast for Down From Ten. Oh god, there's lots of fun stuff coming. And fortunately, Kitty Nakia noticed this week that I am buried and has volunteered to help start shuffling some of that stuff off the hard drive and to you guys while I work ahead on Down From 10 so that I can be in a position to bring you free will on time. Summer is trickling by. Oh my. Those of you that follow my blog or follow me on Twitter will have already heard of the great house hunt to build the ultimate podcasting studio. The house we were hoping to get was, unfortunately, snapped up from under our noses. But the search continues. Over the last couple of months, I've gotten a few notes from you guys asking if I'm ever going to put up a tip jar for donations, and since I'm not selling much swag yet, and I don't have any print books available. Well, stumbling upon that house that we really wanted got me to put it up. You can now find tip jars at all of the jdsawyer.net websites. If you enjoy the shows, please do drop a few bucks in. And thank you very much to Mike, Bruce, and Nate, who've all pitched in already. I really, really appreciate it. It's very kind of you. News next week on how to get a poster-sized version of the Predestination artwork signed by moi, as Gerd would say. And speaking of predestination, since the book ended, there's been a surge of interest, but it's kind of starting to level off now. And I'd like to keep it building. Over the month of May, you guys blew through so much of my bandwidth, I had to upgrade my web hosting plan. And I... Okay, it's a little more expensive for me that way, but I kind of like it. I like that you guys are enjoying this, and I'd like to keep the build going. So, if you listened to Predestination and you liked the book, please drop a review. Leave it on iTunes. We've only got 17 reviews, and if we can get up past 50, we're going to be high enough in the rankings that people will start finding the podcast just when they're browsing casually. Or leave a review on your blog, or on your social networking site, or on Goodreads, or on Facebook. Anything would help. I'm only asking five minutes of your time. Took me quite a bit longer than five minutes to produce the book, so if it brought enjoyment to your life... Please, uh, return the favor five minutes, write me a review, help drive more traffic to the book. It's very exciting times. I'm really, really happy with this, and I'm so glad you guys are enjoying this stuff. Remember, if you're listening on the Antithesis feed, only the first ten episodes of Down From Ten will be posting there. After that, you'll need to switch to either the Down From Ten feed at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net or to the jdsawyer.net Uber feed, which contains Down From Ten, Predestination, Reprobates, and all the other stuff I do except for Apologia. And you can find all of my feeds on the right sidebar at www.jdsawyer.net. I also appeared on the Dead Robot Society this past week, talking with P.G. Holyfield, Justin McCumber, and Terry Mixon about how we all build characters and what our different approaches are to character development. And um, if you're an aspiring writer or you just want to get a good look at what goes on behind the curtain, it was a pretty fun show. It's at deadrobotsociety.com. You can also hear me this week as the narrator on Nobilis Erotica, and this coming week you can hear me playing Nikola Tesla in Philippa Ballantyne's new steampunk short story on erotica a la carte. 
Thank you very much for the feedback you've sent in so far, positive, negative, and mixed. There will be a feedback show after episode 7 where I'll answer all your questions. Well, all the ones that don't involve spoiling the mystery anyway. You can leave questions, comments, criticisms, and whatever else you like at dan at jdsawyer.net or on the blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. You can call and leave voicemail at area code 206-350-5739. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends. More Down From 10 later this week. And until then, remember, you can make the whole world end. If you just count down from ten...